Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. Is that good energy? <laughs> I, I, need a, I need a little more from you. I need a little more from you. <laughs> well, I'm excited about this uh, this show. We got a pretty cool guest coming on, Mike. Tell yeah, us what do. we got going on. Uh, we got Ryan McGee coming in because we've got the book uh, that comes out today if you're listening to this yeah. on the podcast. Two days ago if you're watching this on the television show. And, and it's just a lot. It's coming out this week. <laughs> Big deal. Let's just say it's out October 16th. October 16th. No matter when right. you're listening. Look at your calendar and you can determine it. when it was. But we've got that. We just got back from Talladega. That was a lot of fun. And let me tell you something, my friend. Yeah. I took my daughter to an Alabama football game this weekend, her first Alabama football Ooh, game. Big dad and moment. two times from complete strangers, I was called Eddie Munster. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Yes, really. Damn. And it's, uh, let me tell you something. You Look know what you started. Fun? You know what's fun? Having to explain to your daughter why they're calling me Eddie I bet Munster. she enjoyed that. Uh, well, she she did, actually. That's a little demoralizing <laughs> for me. So thank you for, uh, you know, creating that little fun thing for the I've weekend. Said, that is not new. I've told you that before <laughs> with the with the peak in your haircut. Probably not the peak in my haircut. It's really that, it's just a very small, unique thing about your hairline that is <laughs> Similar to his, nothing else about you is like him. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. Because I know if there was one more similarity, <laughs> you would make sure to tell us all. All right, all right. I am what I. Am. But look, enough about that. That was a little fun thing. I thought you'd get a kick out yeah, of. That's pretty funny. But we got a good show today. McGee's going to be on his way in here. Uh, we got a lot of good stuff. Apparently, Dillner has finally got some good Dale Jr. questions that uh, we've been busting like, on him. A little he'll bit. judge. He'll so, judge. So we'll we'll see if you really uh, met the standard. All right, let's, let's do, do this. It. Okay. Nothing would have been cooler and more, you know, important to me than being able to stand next to that car with Isla and Amy. And I know Isla won't remember it, but one day we'll be able to show her that we were here and we were doing this. And, and when I, you know, when I tell her, try to tell her what kind of dad she had uh, and what kind of race car driver I was, we can say, hey, you were at this one race. And uh, hopefully she... Gets a kick out of that. I really hope she does. Yeah, that was a little bit of a piece from the uh, little clip from The Return, which was a short film that Dirty Mo Media created, mm-hmm. uh, regional content. I thought it turned out amazing. We talked about it on the last podcast. You know, it finally was available for even me to see. You hadn't seen uh, it until yeah, it came out. I hadn't seen it till it was released. I didn't want to see any kind of the rough cuts. I wanted the full thing because I knew you guys were working on it pretty hard and it was real thorough. One of the things that some people told me that they thought it was really dramatic. And I, my answer to that is this is a way for, this was a great opportunity for us to show how much Dirty Mo Media has grown and what Dirty Mo Media is becoming capable of and what our, what our, you know, what yours, Matthew's and my vision is uh, for the future of, of that, uh, that part of our company. So uh, pretty exciting. I thought it was so well done, mm-hmm. and Matthew, you did a great job capturing a lot of good content, and uh, the you know how it was edited and cut together. It, the production side of it couldn't have been, I couldn't have been more proud of it. So that and that was the goal, I think, for, obviously for the production team yeah. for it to be well, great. We want so, you to be proud, yeah, of and it, all but... you guys are responsible for that. So I was really thrilled with it. What was your favorite part, man? Yeah, uh, my favorite parts about it, I think, in anything that I do, and it was the same with this. Is when people get to see the real side, the real person, or the or my real personality kind of come out in some of the conversations we're having, or us in a more intimate 
environment having a conversation, wherever that might be. We always are by a race car. We're always talking into cameras and, and wearing a driver's suit. And, and inside the racetrack, you're going to get similar sound bites. You know what I'm saying? So when we were not in those environments and we were we were just being real, those are my favorite moments. I think that's what's been consistent with us through my whole career was that we've always been able to deliver those type of things in pretty much everything we do. And anytime we've ever got out of a race car, no matter whether we won or lost, anytime we've ever done an interview, we've always really kind of been honest and transparent. And, and so those moments are my favorites. You know, the one that sticks out for me is, you know, most people would not want to put in a final product not having your credential or being in the wrong booth or going oh, up the wrong yeah, elevator. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but those were moments of vulnerability that I thought were just beautiful moments. And listen, you know, of, yeah. of imperfection, but really raw, transparent uh, glimpse into how much we don't get it right. We were <laughs> stuff. Yeah, we were watching that. And during that process of me trying to find the booth and trying mm-hmm. to get on the right elevator, we went to... Uh, so we go to this one elevator, and we were complete way off. We were, in, <laughs> we were down church turn one, and I'm thinking, this can't be right. Why would the booth be down here? And somebody was like, yeah, this is where it's at. We go up there, and there's nothing. You know, there's no booth, nothing, nothing. <laughs> no. And the lady's like, I don't, you know, you guys are in the wrong place. So I went to, to the start-finish line, and, and I, Amy's like, what's going on? You don't know where the booth is? And I'm like, why, why would I How know would where? How would you know? Why would I it's know first where time the booth there. is? It's my first time everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And so every time we go to these racetracks, you're going to see the, I'm, you're going to see the booth for the first time. Don't know where the booth is. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's not uncommon pretty much that's right. every other week for us to sort of be stumbling through the, 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 first, <laughs> the first day. It was the perfect glimpse of our year. We yeah. are going through this year kind of for the first time. Yeah. We're going to racetracks that we've been to for 20 years, but not in this role. And so everything is new. And so that was a perfect little glimpse and moment that I thought was sort of really encapsulated kind of what our first year as a broadcaster or post-driving career is. No, I really enjoyed it. I I was glad that the broadcasting side of the weekend or part of the weekend Mm -hmm. was included, and it wasn't really just about the race. Mm -hmm. I told you guys when I wanted to go to the race and run this race at Richmond, I said, I don't want to make this a big deal. I just want to go have fun. So us sort of intertwining the whole weekend into it made it better for me. I didn't want to make too big a deal from our end about us going back to the racetrack. This is just us having fun, enjoying the opportunity to run, and it was perfect. It worked out perfectly. We were able to go run good, and uh, so therefore making something like this short film had more purpose and substance behind it because the car, we did run up front and have a good race. And so the race couldn't have went better aside from not winning. Cause, and the beautiful part is if you would have wadded it up on lap one, we just wouldn't have done the video. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's that simple when you do it this way. Yeah. We just, all right, we didn't really come out with anything. So, all right, yeah. we'll just hit the lead. So, pretty happy with it. We're, you know, tell guys where you can watch it. There's a YouTube channel that Dirty Mo Media has. That's right. Dirty, it's an exclusive video on our Dirty Mo Media YouTube, which uh, if you have been uh, listening to this podcast all year, you know we've been really trying to hit on it and tell people because we just started it uh, – earlier this year so uh this is an exclusive piece for that i think it's a nice piece for it it's 25 minutes long right so uh but it's a very good interesting entertaining view um so uh, go to the youtube that's where it is are you know what else is returning oh play on words this is going to be stupid. I can already tell. Can't that? Can't you? Come on, you don't know what else is returning? The what? Pristine auctions. Pristine yeah. auctions, man. <laughs> that's right. I, that's not as dumb as I thought it was. No, I no. thought this was going to be one of those cheesy little dealerisms. I knew exactly what was coming. <laughs> <laughs> we love pristineauction.com for 
important to Dale Jr. Download. That's right. It's an online sports auction site where you can bid and win authentic sports and memorabilia from the comfort of your home. So you don't even have to leave the house. And that's better than having to travel to an auction house or find find where you're going. Or Oh, yeah. yeah. PristineAuction.com offers a daily auction where all bids start at just one buck. Mm-hmm. So uh, one greenback dollar <laughs> is the... Uh, is how the auction will begin. And this means an auction is ending soon. No waiting. So hurry over and check it out now. Starts at a buck. It's going to end. It's a daily auction. You're not going to wait. You better hurry. There you go. In addition to the daily auction, they also have several other formats, including a 10-minute auction. So that's even quicker. You better be on your game. <laughs> <laughs> i tell you what. That's like no a restart with three to go. Don't get distracted. I mean, they're really entertaining. You know, because the, the intensity kind of ramps up with the 10-minute auction. <laughs> Items pop up just for 10 minutes. It's rapid-fire bidding. Right. And uh, you better be sure whether you want this item or not. Right. Ain't mulling it over. You don't have time right. to think and ask yeah. the wife. Yeah, you'll have to consider this one because it's 10 minutes. Honey, I got 10 minutes! And, and so what, what this presents is some of the deals that you're going to get, especially on these 10-minute auctions, are insane. Because they pop up quick, and a lot of people, you know, your hardcore bidders might not see this 10-minute auction, might, be, might, might not be bidding on they this item. They might be item. in the bathroom. They might miss yeah. it. Yeah, you might get an opportunity to really snag an item cheap. They guarantee the authenticity of all their items, and everything you purchase comes fully authenticated. Fully, I knew I would. Fully authenticated. Nope. Almost. Nope. Do it again. You do it. Authenticated. Yeah, there you go. Good enough. God almighty. <laughs> Authenticated. There you go. All right. By only the most trusted sources. You know, if you are buying something, you know it's the real deal. Yeah, so, you know these guys. You've signed for them before. This, and they're, and they're, I think it's important that people, I don't know, do people realize how much fake stuff there is out there? I certainly do because yeah. I see so much fake I, stuff. I don't think they realize it. Anyway. I don't think they do realize no. it. So, I mean, if you're bidding on these other websites and so forth and, and buying stuff from stores, you and they, they don't have the authenticity. They don't. <laughs> Go, we know what you mean. Yeah. And they can't show you any kind of form or paper that tells you this is a real deal. You don't know whether you're whether you're getting the real autograph or not, or somebody signed that. I didn't, you know, maybe I didn't sign it. Someone else signed it. You know, that happens. It happens a lot. And to be honest with you, it happens beyond autographs. The saddest story I know is when somebody bought what they thought was an actual race car, an old DEI oh race gosh. car, the number eight, and yeah. then they sent pictures of it. Or no, it was the AC Delco car. Yeah. And they sent pictures of it to us after they bought it. Oh, no. Just to make sure it was, and, and Dale Jr. looked at it and he goes, that's not even remotely close oh, to no. our race car. Yeah. yeah. That's not cool. That's a big deal that they guarantee the authenticity of all their items. Uh, you don't have to worry about getting scammed by a, uh, a fake. Uh, the best part is, obviously, that it's affordable. Like I said, you might get some great deals, but most of the, deal, most of the deals on there are going to be incredibly, incredibly afford, affordable. Right now, there's a Ryan Blaney autographed Pocono wind photo in mm. the bid. Is at two dollars and ten cent. He got the flow going on in this one too, man. Of oh, the hair, oh, yeah. the hair, the hair. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I think that is good for an extra tenth or two. Uh, if yeah, I mean, he should right. get a dollar or two just for the hair. There's photos of Blaney signing this item. Okay. You know. Well, that's all the authentication that you would need if it's, there's photos of, yeah. him, of him signing it. Pristine takes the photos. They're there with their people. That's awesome. While the driver's signing these items. Uh, so go check out pristineauction.com now. You'll be hooked. It's free to register, and it's free to bid. And you only pay for the items you win, so it's free across the board. That's Pristine Auction, spelled P-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, auction.com. And when you register, this is important, be sure to select Dale Jr. Download Podcast from the drop-down menu 
in the how did you hear about us section. So in the how did you hear about us section, select Dale Jr. Download Podcast from the drop down. That lets them know that we had something to do with you going there and bidding on these items. And it helps us get continued support for this podcast. Thank you, Pristine Auctions, for coming back. And we're taking that word out of the next read. Authentic. authentic <laughs> so is it officially <laughs> like time time of death? Authenticated. <laughs> authenticated. Time of death in this podcast, it is done. Authenticated. Right. Authenticated. So you got it. <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not saying that anymore. <laughs> Sorry, Pristine. Pristine. It's done. Needs me to read. It's authentic. It's real. It's real. Yeah. We're gonna have to Next come week, up with another it's real. way. It's real. We're gonna have to come up with another way. <laughs> they let you know it's a real to get thing. Get that point across to it's the fans dotted. listening. <laughs> All right, so I see Ryan McGee just walked in. Let's get him in the building. Get him in, in here. The good-looking part of Marty McGee. Look at this slick hair right yeah, here. Yeah, look at him. He's old letting, slick, old slickster. He, he's got a little blaney action it. going. Yeah. He's letting the hair go. I've noticed <laughs> this about him. I see him on TV. And I said, well, I got Ryan Blaney. What's going on here? Look at him. Good to see you. Stand by. Man in the camera. You guys are. This uh, ain't exactly Marty McGee set now. You're going to have to slum I've it a I've known him bit. long, and I've known either one of y'all. Well, that's because he was here about when Lee Petty I, started racing. You, you, how, how, how were you when we started? You, you were, how were you oh, when we started working together? It would have been 2001. No? 2001 when we started working together. Yeah. So, uh, totally NASCAR back in the day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally NASCAR. I saw it send him out on the road. <laughs> oh, that's right. McGee yeah. was one of my first uh, – he was probably like my second or third boss in racing, yeah. man. I used to be a boss. You used know? to crack the whip on me. I had a staff and the whole time. I wasn't very good at it, but I did it. Well, did some mean, good shows, man. Yeah, totally we did NASCAR was on for how many years? Uh, I produced four it years? for two. It was only four years. Four yeah. years. I left RPM tonight to go produce the show to compete that, with RPM tonight. So this is a Star Wars hoodie, right? Yeah. It, are those stars or is that lint? Because it sure <laughs> is. <isn't. laughs> <laughs> That's sewn into it. Oh No, it's lint. Yeah. No, no really? it's not lint. Yes, no, no. it is. No, it's sewn pulled? into it, though. Look. No, that was it just is. a random piece of lint. Yeah. Listen, I we need a T-shirt. We need a test. We need to shake them off. Throw them off. Throw a lint roller down that sleeve and let's hey, see. Hey, McGee's were lint heads in Rockingham, so that's, <laughs> hey, that's, what, that's what it is. Lint head. Look at it. I see you it. Like it? Does look. it not look like it's yeah? But it's come, sewn into the deal. It looks. It looks dirty. That's what it looks. fancy. It's not dirty. <laughs> not dirty. It just looks like it came out of the dryer. Yeah. As far as you know, they meant to do this. Yeah. <laughs> what a great observation by you, yeah. by the way. But I'm telling you, you can't be a guest on this show without Dale Jr. giving the – he's going to look at every little piece oh, of no, picture you're on your game. My wife was making fun of me because before I left the house, I'm like, do I just do I go with the Star Wars hoodie? I had like two or three – I had an A.J. Foyt T-shirt. Oh. It was too wrinkled up. Otherwise, I would have worn it. I had like an old NHRA deal, and I was like – she goes, why are you acting like this for you? I go, I go, I go this is the – this is a big deal. I said, if you don't wear the right thing in front of Dale, my daughter, it's true, true story, because of Dale, my daughter, who's almost 14 now, over the weekend wow. she was at some candy store right by uh, Whiskey River in uptown Charlotte, and she bought me this cream soda because it had the old Farrah Fawcett picture on the front. Oh, really? And she, we, she and I had a whole conversation. They make a cream soda with Farrah Fawcett I on would the drink front. That. Yeah, yeah. And I, because I, because she saw a picture of you yeah. with that, t-shirt oh, okay and then that. i explained to her it was an old story i had written about you years ago and she saw the picture and she goes is that that's the charlie's angels lady i said yeah and i went through the whole thing about how everybody had the poster yeah. and cannonball run and the whole deal so yeah so i educated her thank you for and, that 
And, you, and, and how proud as a dad were you as soon as she was able to recognize that that was Farrah Fawcett on a on – Oh, no, she's Christian. old school, man. No, she, seriously. Just like, just like she I'm She would saying, rather listen proud. to Zeppelin. That's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, no, that's it. Yeah. yeah. She'll sit there and watch the original Star Wars and quote it like like there's nothing to it. So, I've done – That's what happens the when deal you live is, with you. you. You'll go through this. The deal is you do everything you can – to make them love the stuff that you love, knowing that one day they're gonna, they're just gonna start listening to stuff you don't like and whatever. And but but when they get older, they'll come back to, you know, hopefully listen to what you listen. Yeah, to. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'll take whatever. You, you I got right. this all thought out. I like it. I oh like no, it. I, it was it was like it's like getting up ahead of steam to jump a canyon. You go hard as you can go with what you got, and then hope that y'all all land on the other side. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there you go. That's I know he appreciates my parenting tips. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we brought you here. Well, when we started writing the book, he wasn't a dad, and I didn't have a teenage daughter. And by the time we were done, my daughter was a teenager, and he was a dad. So it's <laughs> been, it's been quite the journey. <laughs> Those Mike. pages, right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Well, you're here to talk about the book. I, You guys, I don't even know where to start because it comes out this week. I asked you before, as you were walking in, I'll ask you again to actually hold one of those books, both of you guys. Uh, what's that feel like? Well, I'm glad it's you know the stories in these pages and in this in in this final finished form and that we are done drumming it up you know yeah. and and you know telling the story I guess I didn't think about how it, at times it was kind of frustrating trying to recall the and I was talking to McGee about this I said man we're gonna write this book and at the end we're gonna get done and go oh we forgot mm-hmm. you know this very important part mm-hmm. and. He said, well, that happens when you write every book, so don't worry about it because, you know, you're going to do that no matter how many books you write. You're going to always have that moment. And so I just sort of stopped worrying about whether we got everything in there that was important. We've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for this thing to finally be available for people to pick it up and read. You know, so there was a lot of work, then quiet time. A couple months go by. Oh, he had to where, write. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean. We were done. Yeah. We were done. It was weird. I told him, I saw, we saw each other today. I said, it's weird. I said, because we literally were either, we saw each other, talked on the phone, text, whatever, every day for a couple of months, and then it's over. Then you yeah. just kind of send it off, and you wait on the whatever. And, th- and then the summer came, and he hits the road, and football starts, and I've hit the road, and whatever. And we just kind of. Waiting. You just kind of wait. And then all of a sudden. So that's you been, know, you're holding that's, your hand. It's been a strange experience from yeah. that standpoint that we the process and and when we talked about doing the book, the October release date was out there, and we're thinking, why so long? You know, dang, yeah. this game. We're, you want it done now? You want it done before summer? But then we're going to release in October. Like, why aren't we releasing it when it's done? <laughs> and so the wait that's been kind of kind of tough. I'm glad it's here and available, and I'm uh, very proud of it. Uh, McGee did an amazing job. There, there's a part of the whole process that's even a mystery to me. So McGee comes to the house, and we would sit up in my library for a few hours talking, and uh, he was ready to ask every question that needed to be asked. And then when we would uh, be done, he'd go home and write like a madman. Yeah, <laughs> and he'd be wore out. Yeah, he would. Yeah. And that, and that was I, I was telling somebody the other day that that's a part I understood very quickly after the first time we met. It was up in his office. The first time we did book meeting, we sat up in his office and he just paced and just started going through this. And I didn't ask a lot of questions that day. It was like, just, all right, let's get it out there. What do we want to talk about? And, you know, I asked some real broad questions about how did you feel and all these types of things. And it went on for, we were up there three hours. And I'm like, that was awesome. Let's do it again tomorrow or whatever. <laughs> and by the time I got home, I realized how tired I was. 
And I was like, I wasn't the one coming. I'm, I'm, I'm asking him to go through all this awful stuff. And so, like, that night or the next day, I was like, you know what? We'll just not do this tomorrow. <laughs> and then we realized – but then I realized we need to space it out a little bit because yeah. I just didn't I – I didn't understand until the first time how trying that was going to be because we're, I mean, we were going through heavy stuff. I didn't either. I didn't know how trying and tough it was going to be to write the book and to talk about the book. I think writing a book is not an easy thing to do, and I think no matter what we had to discuss – it would have wore us out mentally because you do so much rummaging through your file cabinet upstairs in your head. And I mean, you got to go far and mm-hmm. deep and you got, you know, you, and you got to be honest. You got to be open and transparent about what you know mistakes you made. I was going to be telling people that all, you know, I'd be been keeping this secret and not, I'd been openly, openly telling people what to do and not doing it myself. So here I was going to be admitting uh, to being a bit of a hypocrite. It was just a really, really strange experience. It happened in a bubble, you know, between me and him in the library of my house. And we would go uh, we would go to the sushi joint and have lunch, which was a lot of fun. One of the fun things about doing a book is, so me and McGee have known each other a really long time. His life's so damn, you know, he's all over the place. And mine too. We're, we're going and going and going. This, writing this book gave us a time kind of forced us to sit down and be around each other and spend time together and talk about things. And we talked about things not even related to the book, you know, life and kids and marriage and anything going on, you know, and, and whatever's happening in our lives. And so we became, I thought we became real close, a lot of trust and uh, built a relationship and a friendship that'll last a really long time. So there's that, that I knew that was probably going to happen. I felt like if I was going to write the book that the person I wrote it with, I needed to be able to you know, have trust in because this was going to be some sensitive stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and I didn't even know how deep this got. I, I didn't even know. I didn't know that, uh, the depths of which that were going to be so difficult for you to go, uh, relive. Yeah. And, uh, we learned that on the back end on that uh, McGee as the person that really kind of heard the story for the first time, why will people want to buy this book? Cause they listen, everybody thinks that they know, I mean, I covered it. Right. So so one of the things that for me was I kind of had a timeline in my head. The first time he and I got together at Barkdale for lunch, it, it, like it was I think it was right before Daytona. Yeah. And we did. And, and just, so you know, too, this is not you don't write a book like in the period of time that we did it. We did it in basically 12 weeks. And you don't you, that's not how you do something like Super this. Fast, but but yeah. that's how that's how this went down. But we met at Barkdale and we're like, all right, let's we started talking. I kind of had a timeline in my head and like, you know, and I had been. I was at the press conference at Darlington, and I was at the press conference at Charlotte, you know, mm-hmm. in 2012. I was, I was there for all these things. And so I thought I knew. I'm like, well, I, you know, I, I wrote columns and stories, and I've covered this guy his whole career. I, I, I thought I knew more of the details than I – I mean, I, I did not know nearly as much as I thought I did. Mm-hmm. And so when he was being so honest with me so fast – I mean, I'm talking about the first time we had, like like I say, like the, the actual writer meeting at his office, you know, at the house – 10 minutes in I was like oh damn we're this is this is happening like and it meant a lot to me because he was so honest and so open so fast that I think that's what people are going to be I think when you read the book you'll have the same reaction his honesty uh, stopped you in your tracks or what he was saying about his story well I I, I never doubt he's gonna be honest but I was surprised at how open he was as quickly as he was gotcha and but the other part is just how bad he felt and listen, when within the first time we met at Burkdale that day, I told somebody I think told the Charlotte Observer the story of the day. He sat down, and we talked for like ten minutes. Like, all right, we're going to do this. 
And he said something to me then that I always remembered. He said, if we're going to do this, we're going to have to be friends. Because we've known each other 20 years, but the reality is we're not, we weren't friends. I, mean, I was friends with you. I am friends with Delner. We knew each other, but we weren't tight. Yeah. But but we are now. I, I think we are. Oh, yeah. I think you have to be. And so he, and he said it that day. I'm like, all right, well, then we're in. You know, and two days later, we were, you know, having that conversation. But I think that's the part that's going to people, even the people who think they're his biggest fan, even people who are related to him, I mean, I don't think they understand what was going on. I know they don't understand what was going on. And what I love is the stuff you hear, like, you know, well, and, and he addresses this stuff directly in the book. And I'm already getting – I've gotten a lot of it on Twitter in the last couple of weeks, which is, uh, well, you know, Amy, that's why he quit driving. Or, yeah. you know, oh, well, you know, so-and-so. Or they, they, everybody comes up with a different list of reasons, and he addresses all that. But once you read this, you understand it's ridiculous and amazing that he was out there – as long as he was, because he could have walked away. It, it, knowing what you know now, he could have walked away after the first two races that you missed, and I would have been totally cool with it. I yeah. mean, after I know what I know now. I mean, you say that you, that, uh, you guys go there and that Dale goes there when it comes to Amy. I don't think that's sta- that, that's understating what y'all do with it. It's almost aggressive at how at the point that you guys drive home about the reason for retirement. That chapter in al- alone is really compelling, uh, and for all of us, you bring it up, you hit it. We're as close to Dale as you can get, right? I mean, yeah. we're as close to Dale, and we read it for the first time, and and learning things about, and and, and rehashing things from the from you know the years past, and it's like, oh, that that makes sense now. It didn't make sense. Yeah. Kelly talked about reading it for the first time and being angry. Amy has said she hasn't even read it, and she, I, I don't know when she will, because she, uh, she's afraid of what to think about it. I mean, this is raw emotional stuff that you that, that people are about to read and it, it was very difficult to go there well and and that again going back to that first time we had lunch and we talked for t- so i was gonna say we talked for 10 minutes and all right this is what we're gonna do and you know we're in all right and where and he says he had to go take a call or something he was gonna send you these notes and he airdropped those notes to me or he walked away for a minute and i'm sitting there scrolling through these notes and that's when i was like th- that was the first time and at that point i don't think but just a few people had ever seen him and it was Sunday night felt like this, Monday felt like this, Tuesday felt like this, and then it was rinse and repeat. And it was just it was just race after race going through it. And I was just like – and then I ran it up against the timeline I already put together. And what was crazy to me was a lot of those times you would feel terrible during the week and you'd finish fourth. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and, and that was – and I talked to Stevie about that. And, 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 and he said there was a level – and you said there's a level of concentration you had to have maybe going into the weekend – that forced you. I, it, it, that whole part of it, I just didn't see coming. I, I thought it was going to be didn't feel great, and this is what I was ran dealing 25th with. Twenty fifth all day, yeah. Ran twenty fifth, yeah. and 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 you know, and and kind of thought about retiring or whatever. But it, it went so much deeper than that, so fast that it was it was one of the great surprises of my career. <laughs> it really <laughs> yeah. was. Yeah. Well, that's saying something right there. I mean, because you know, people hear uh, books being touted and, and promoted and and things like that. But when the author um, is shocked. And how it un- unfurls, yeah. uh, that's saying something. Well, it just told me you were serious about it. Yeah. You know, because I mean, there's a lot of people who write books. You, you read a lot of books by athletes and there's nothing yeah. to it, you know, and just told me, all right, we're, you know, he was committed to it. Yeah. I mean, I, I felt like that uh, when I was driving in that last year in 2017, I, I wanted to tell this story, but I didn't want to, I didn't want my final year in racing to be dominated by questions about my truth and the concussions and, and, I wanted to just enjoy that final year with my team and go to the racetrack and race and try to stay healthy. 
and plus, you know, when you're talking about, hey, you know, I had this traumatic experience in my head, if, you know, when I was going to come clean and say, you know, I'd hit, hit all these problems. You can't do that while you're competing out on the racetrack. People are going to say, well, you're lying, you know, are you lying now? Right. Are you truthful right. now? What's going on with you now? That would have just been a difficult situation for me, right or wrong. That's what I decided to do. And once I was clear of the career and driving, I felt compelled to come clean because people were wondering why I had retired. They said it might be Amy, it might be my family, it might be, you know, just I didn't want to race or didn't care to race, care to race, wasn't tough, whatever. Those were some p- points for writing the book for me was to clear that up completely with here's the story. The other side of that too is when Mickey helped me the first time in 2012, I was like, wow, you know, you, you gave me my life back. And then we went into the issues in 2016, and it was so much more severe, and it took me out of the car for a whole half a season and beyond. And I was fearful in moments of that process that I wasn't going to ever get fully recovered, and Mickey helped me do that. And I thought, wow, okay, this is the second time that you've done this, and even more uh, impressive on that on the second time, the work that he did, I'm like, I will never be able to do the same for him. I don't know how I could ever repay him in the same way. And so he would always encourage me when we would do an article or, you know, if somebody ever asked me about my concussions in the media and I would be open about it and talk about it, he would he would always text me or, or call me and say, hey, Red X article, this is important. You're doing good things. You're helping people. Somebody came to me to my office yesterday wanting help, said they read this article. And he's like, you're helping people get to get to get to me so they can get help. And so he's encouraging me along the way over the years with that kind of conversation. And so I thought, well, I'm going to write this book. And that's really going to be a big home run for him. Uh, that's what I wanted it to be, was a book that people would read and it might push and direct people, even more people in bigger numbers to Mickey. And then we talked to Mickey about you know, the book, you know, I was wanting him basically at the very beginning to read the, read the copy and approve it in a way that maybe, uh, Pete, the treehouse master might come to your treehouse and say, yeah, it's not falling out of the tree. Yeah. <laughs> so when we read, when we talked to Mickey, then he's like, Hey, I'll do whatever you need. I'll do media with you. I'll even be involved and give you some verbiage and, and conversation to be able to put in the book to back up a lot of things we're talking about. So he basically joined the train, jumped on the oh, bus he was, with he's us. The, he's the third. He's the third author yeah. of the book. No, he is no, exactly. He is. And was from the beginning. The first time I was, we, we had our lunch and we had our first like meeting where we did kind of an interview and like you went to Korea and I went to Daytona and we're all over the place. And in the middle of all that, I remember I was driving to Knoxville, Tennessee, for something and had been playing phone tag with Mickey. And he finally called and I pulled over on the side of the road because I didn't want to lose him in the mountains. And I remember sat in a parking lot of like a funeral home or something <laughs> oh, in, Sh- in Shelby, North Carolina, and talked to him for two hours. Mm. And it was the first time that I could take to him, all right, now Dale said he felt this, 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 and this. And Mickey would say, all right, the reason he felt this was because of this, 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 and this. And then the uh-huh. challenge for me was taking how he felt, how Mickey explained it, and then I would go back to Dale and i go, all right, if I if, – if we describe it like this, does this make sense? And he'd say yes, because we're trying to make sure in the book – it's not a medical journal. We want somebody That's in the book right. to understand the chemistry of all this. And then I go back to Mickey and go, all right, so Dale and I think this is kind of like stepping on a fire hose. He's like, perfect. You know, or Dale and I say something, that's perfect. You know, yeah. so, so it was taking literal brain science and trying to explain it to, first of all, us. In everyday terms. Of all, yeah, exactly right. 
and, and, and you guys do a masterful job. There was a particular thing. I'm not going to give away the book here, but uh, you basically put the reader in the hospital room, in the, in the room at uh, University of Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Medical Center, and in the conversation with, from Mickey to Dale. And that's exactly what Mickey was doing for, for Dale and for all of us that were in the room, too. And, it's, and, and you write about that in this conversation. Mickey, I hope that people, and Mickey writes the forward here, I hope people understand the level of badass that Mickey Collins is through all of this. Because, uh, one, you've got somebody that's really running point on the concussion awareness for everybody. Two, uh, this isn't a racing book, and this isn't something, this, and this isn't a medical journal. journal and, and yet we've got the best doctor out there in this book, and, and like you said, a third author. But that's because Mickey, is, I've never seen anybody that cares about what he studies and about the people that he influences and helps, like I've seen out of this doctor. It's not just, it's just not talk. It's not book selling talk either. This guy, I mean, you see the, 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 the passion Dale has to write this book. He needs people to understand that there's a Mickey Collins in this world and that there's a lot of people that we're finding out that are going through a lot of the same stuff and there's hope. There's a way to get, there's a way to get help. Yeah. And you guys, I think, did a fantastic job uh, just putting that all on the table in this book. Yeah, I feel like that there's a there is a group of people out there that feel like that they have no answer and no nowhere to go, no one to see. They've been to this doctor, this doctor, and this doctor, and they've gotten everything out of that experience that they can. And what they have left, they have are resigned to live with, and that these you know the remaining symptoms and issues are just what they're going to have to deal with. They've accepted that, right? I hear people say to me. When they talk about, man, I'm glad you're speaking up. I'm, I'm also uh, uh, had a traumatic brain injury when I was younger, and I've got problems today. And, man, I'm glad you're talking. And my comment to them would be, your problems today are maybe something that Mickey could fix. Mm-hmm. You know, this goes, you know, give Mickey a chance to understand your problems, be transparent with him, and he may be able to help you. Be able to minimize and lessen those sever- the severity of those symptoms, if not wipe them out completely. The one thing that people always talked about was quality of life, quality of life, quality of life, getting the best quality of life you can get. And so that's what I think we all are seeking. Anybody that's ever had a head injury and that has those reoccurring symptoms and ongoing issues and lingering problems is trying to get a good quality of life to where when you wake up in the morning, it's not something that's uh, hanging over your head and annoying you through every minute of the day and every experience that you have. It's like, you know, trying to minimize that symptom, if not wipe it out completely, is the is the only thing you care about. And so um, the hope is that people that have this issue or if you know someone that does have these kind of problems that think that this is something that they have to live with, that have given up hope on finding any more answers to fix it, that they'll they'll give Mickey a call. And when you go and people think, well, you know, Mickey sees, sees me or he sees the Steelers players and he sees the NHL penguins team i go into his and i thought that too when i first started going to see mickey i thought mickey was a doctor for the pittsburgh sports teams right. and, okay. and his all and his, his facilities right there because right? yeah, yeah. his facilities it is located he has two facilities two offices and he's both throughout the week they're both at one's at the steelers training facility and one's at the nhl training facility for the penguins and okay. 
the thing that I thought when I first went to Mickey's was, oh, wow, man, I'm in great hands. He works with the Steelers and the Penguins. Man, he's dealt with this stuff. Yeah, he was Sidney Crosby's doctor. Right. right. So really? what I learned, though, when I walk into the lobby is that the every man is in there. The kid from that's gotten hurt playing sports in high school or been in a car accident, the plumber that, you know, injured himself on the job, the wife at home or, or you know, there's every, he sees anyone and everyone. When you go into the therapy room, it's this giant room, it's a gym-like room with a bunch of apparatuses and stuff. There's all walks of life in that room working on all types of injuries. And so the United Pittsburgh Medical Center, uh, I learned, is not just about Mickey Collins and and athletes. Right. All right. And so the every, you know, if you're hearing this today or you read this book and you want and you have problems and you're wondering if Mickey can fix them, he'll welcome you with open arms. And uh and so I I I hope that people are encouraged more, you know, to go see him. One of the big things I learned this is just this is an injury. You know, I mean it's, you know, you, you it's it's brain science. Yep. You know, so you uh-huh. go in thinking it's this mystical, magical, you know, we'll never really understand it and all that stuff and then you talk to Mickey and it's bruising and it's, you know, bleeding and it's, you know, it's just and he he starts breaking it down into this chemical and that chemical. I mean, it's just it's 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 like breaking your arm and there's a there's a treatment for it. And you know, you don't think that because what we knew about concussions 10 years ago is completely obsolete. And what we know 10 years from now will be completely different than what it is now. What Dale always says, we say a bunch of times in the book is, you know, it's no longer going to sit in a dark room. It's not. But it wasn't that long ago that's what the treatment yeah. was. But now there's, you know, there's treatment. You just have to find the right doctor that tells you it's not you know, like any other injury. If yeah. you, you t- tear, up, tear an ACL or Tommy John surgery or whatever, you go see, you know, James Andrews down in Pensacola because he's the specialist, you know, yeah. he, and he knows more than – your guy down the road knows. And so this just, that's, to me, it's the most honorable part of the whole project. And, and honestly, why I wanted to do it is the mission at the end, which is if you don't feel right, even if your doctor is telling you so-and-so, go, yeah. there's, get, hope. You know, yeah. go, there's hope. There is. And, you yeah. know, you don't, don't, and don't be hard-headed. Don't just say, well, it's just how it's going to be. You keep your, keep your mind open. And people, now I'm getting tweets and emails of people coming up to me and going, well, I saw Mickey or, you know, Dale said this, and we, we got a guy in the book, that, this kid in the book from Maine, who, you know, read our, the story in ESPN the magazine by Tommy Tomlinson and went and saw Mickey, and he's got his life back. You know, Ooh, that's, 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 awesome. that's, that's, that's why you do this, right? Yeah. Oh, we were in Indianapolis, and, uh, you know, a couple people went up, came up to us, a 16-year-old girl softball player yeah. um, <clears throat> struggling, struggling, can't, you know, can't make sense of it, uh, and asking us, do you have the number for Dr. Collins? Yeah, absolutely. We That's got really the number cool. for Dr. Collins, and and there, you know that, and she's up in Indy working with Dr. Collins. Yeah, it's, it's uh, anybody. You start this book very interestingly, and I know that you. I've heard you talk about you knew when the start of this book. You knew it when you heard it. Talk about this. You, you go back to a race that was very compelling for you. The way to, to to kind of tee up what was to come. It was at Talladega. Talk about that. Yeah, it was. Um... It was one of the earliest conversations, but I've been the very first conversation we had. And you talked about, you talked about lifting. You talked, you, I remember he was talking about this Talladega race and, and I knew there had been, and I, I knew it because of this podcast. I knew there had been some blowback because the race ended and they'll never really engaged at the end. And I can't remember where you finished, but, but, but just didn't, you know, he knew he didn't have a chance to win. And I asked him about it and he told that story. And when he said, and I lifted, it was like, as a writer, I was like, okay, 
this covers a lot of material right here. Mm-hmm. You're not just how he felt, but also what we were talking about earlier about people thinking they knew how he felt and they didn't know how he felt. And and just kind of and and there was some secret keeping that was going on there. Mm-hmm. And so there was a, there was a lot going on in that moment that I thought was the perfect way to start it because you know even if you don't know anything about any of this if you read that and this is Mr. Restrictor played and at his place and yeah. now you're making a conscious decision and then immediately regretting it and I thought that was the most important part is to understand you know it's all right but I, there was a conflict there that immediately set the tone for this is this guy is going through so much more than anybody understands and that, to me that kind of set that stage you know, you're letting everybody know right off the bat you thought you knew what was going on, and guess what? Uh, the woman asleep to him in the bed that night, she didn't know what was going on. So you sure as hell didn't know what was going on. And so that, <laughs> to, to me, that was it was important to set that tone early on. Now, yeah. you're, you're a sports writer, and right, right now concussions over the past few years have been a, a huge, huge story. You know, there's been movies about it. There's been – you know, you're covering sports, yep. you, in racing where – we're bullheaded. It's got a lot of machismo, you know, we got a lot of machoism within the sport. Same thing with football. Now you're seeing some people, and you see this with this book, some transparency we haven't seen in this sport, but also you're covering both these types of sports. Yeah. You're seeing something right now in the education process, but also in, in the mindset process of just coming out and saying, hey, this is what happened. As a sports writer, that's got to be incredibly refreshing covering all these different sports to hear this. Well, and, and this is how I knew – I mean, and you knew all along the book would have crossover potential, but I, I'm at a college football game every Saturday. Yeah. And I was at LSU this past weekend. I was at Notre Dame the weekend before in Ohio State, and they're asking about the book. And people involved in football are asking about the book. And so I think that, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just it's a conversation that is taking place now that nobody was – I mean, he talks about when he had your, well, you had your crash in the uh, – in the bush race at Daytona 98 and just the way you handled that then is just how you handled it and nobody talked about it we're just not that's not the world we're living in anymore well I mean listen it opens up an intriguing dilemma that that athletes have been dealing with a long time and that is playing hurt for the for the most part we can all agree athletes play hurt where do you draw the line is the question when you got contracts and you got your whole way this is how you're supporting you just made it you just made it your dream and now you're here and now where do you stop? It is so difficult for athletes to be able to know enough. I can't do this anymore. I'm only J- – Ricky Craven really, uh, when he was on this show several years ago, uh, when Dale Jr. was sitting out of the car, and he, he opened up a lot about the dilemma that you've got to face. I don't want anybody taking my spot because I know that the moment I get out of a car or the, for a football player, the moment I go to the sidelines – that's when your Tom Brady comes in and, uh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Mikowski supplants and Drew Bledsoe and, yeah. or whatever. Wallace, this is what's Pippen, going Luke through their Garrett, mind. Right. Yeah. Let, me, yeah. let, me, let me say this. Like, I want to be clear. I didn't mm-hmm. wake up one day and go, you know what, I'm going to make a wise decision. I'm going to, you know, go see a doctor. The symptoms that you have frighten you into calling someone the way that if, you, if your leg broke right now, your ass would be going to the doctor. And you would be wanting to go, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Not, oh, my leg's broke. I'm going to make a good decision and go to the doctor today. Right. And get it fixed. <laughs> I see what you're saying. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. It's more, so I want to be clear that, you know, I didn't have this epiphany and go, man, I'm making all these wrong choices. I've got to do better. Most of the time when I did go get help, it was because I was frightened about what was happening. 
And the reason why I'm frightened or, or was frightened in those moments is because of the information that's available today. Like 5, 10, 15, and certainly 20 years ago, there weren't movies on concussions. There weren't articles about, you know, NFL, retired NFL players having issues. There weren't suicides and, and circumstances and, and, and coincidences linked to concussions. There, weren't, there wasn't conversation about CTE. Over, on and on and on and on every day, propping up on your phone and your alerts. Just in a, you know, just in a traditional news app alone, there's there's a concussion story almost daily. Mm-hmm. If I have a concussion, 2012, I'm out of the car for two weeks. I'm I'm okay. Sounds good. Okay, we're healthy. We're going to be back in the car. I'm never I'm, should be good to go. Right? Yep. Great. But that experience is imprinted on me. So when I see a concussion story, I read it. When I see a conversation about CTE, I join in. When I, I'm absorbing all this information about all these players and everything they're going through and everything that's every anything anytime anybody's been transparent, the families that are wondering what why this guy was acting this way and you know why he killed himself and you know you're I'm absorbing all this information and so that is what is driving me to make the Scaring right the choice. Crap out of yes. him, probably. yeah. So when you do get that injury and you have read all this content. You get your, you know, you go to the doctor on fear alone. This book is going to do the same thing. It's gonna, people are going to read it, and if they get a concussion, they're going to go, "Oh, I, I better do the right thing." I read in this book. I don't want to screw up. I don't want to make a wrong choice here. And anything connected to concussions, the conversation that we have today, the ongoing discussions, the articles written, the families coming forward about their their loved ones that have passed away, and the stories and the mm-hmm. questions they have, and the experiences that players and athletes have today with concussions, their injury, their recovery, their going back to play and ha- having success and doing, you know, all these stories are piling up and it's all just great positive ammo for an athlete or a driver uh, that will experience a concussion one day. I covered a, a NFL game several years ago and I watched, uh, my only job that day was to watch this one wide receiver and I watched him suffer. I watched him. I watched it happen. And he went back sat on the sideline and then snuck back into the game. I watched him sneak around the doctors and go back into the game because he knew if they saw him, they wouldn't let him in the game. And, and so that, that mentality is never going to change, but the doctors were looking for him to keep him from getting in the game. Yeah. They wouldn't have even done that you know, five or six years ago. And that's another thing, too, is you don't shut down football. You don't shut down racing. No, yeah. right. If you want to race, you want to play football, you can do it. You just need to be smarter. As to how you do it, and know that My, if you do suffer yeah. an injury, you can do it. And then there's also things that you can do, you know, on the front end of that to to make you know, you aren't just running around out there with bad gear and yeah. and, and, and stupid stuff. You know, it's just it's just preventative maintenance, and then also taking care of it when you're injured. Mm-hmm. All that exists now. There's tools that exist on both ends of that that didn't exist five, ten, certainly like he said twenty years ago. Yeah. And now you're just living. But you don't have, you don't have to wrap yourself in bubble wrap. And never do the things that you love. No. Whether that's working construction or whether that's, you know, playing youth soccer. You can still do those things. Just know that you can get help if you need help. Yeah. Uh, when you're 20 years old, your body, you're young, your body recovers faster. It doesn't, you know, the injury for the same injury at 43 or, you know, 40 years old for me was much more significant than it was when I was 28. Uh, when I got cra- when we had that crash at ni- 1998 at Daytona, I was uh, falling over, like getting out, you know, walking around and out of the care center, dizzy. 
When you were talking to us, yeah. you were talking to the media after this. I about he, fell he over. He did this thing with his head, and he, I mean, they had to catch him. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And so we're all ha ha ha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. really, we didn't, you know what? Yeah. And what I remember, I remember that vividly, and I remember feeling that dizziness for that second, and then completely clear the moment later. Yeah, you know, so it never registered in my mind there was not a symptom that was ongoing and annoying that would register with me that, hey, I have a problem. I better speak up, right? Right. The youth of my younger body, you know, didn't didn't allow those symptoms to be exposed for whatever reason, you know, and the same crash at 40 years old would have been debilitating. Yeah. Right? That happens, by the way. So, like, when Isla inevitably was, she's going to scratch herself. Right. And you can almost watch it heal, up. heal while you're looking at her. If I scratch myself right now, it's it, like six months later, I got a scar. You know, it, yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah. But it's just, how, you know, it's just how it goes. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I did was I went back through like stuff I had written, like while I was covering you during all this, and I wrote a column that day in Charlotte, the press conference in 2012, where you said I'm going to be gone a couple races, and Jerry Petty was there, and all that. And I wrote a column that night saying this was important, and the reason it was important was because this was not some guy that you may or may not have ever heard of. It finishes you know, 30th every week driving for a team that's going to fold in two years saying I'm walking away for two races. It was you. Yeah. And so the point was if if an Earnhardt is saying, you know what, I'm going to be sent out a couple races, it, it sent a message, I yeah. thought, which was, all right, you know, whether you're a retired guy or whether you're a guy getting started, hesita- you know, it's okay to go take care of yourself. Even though you hated it at the time, it's yeah. okay to go take care of yourself. And I think this book is going to make people think the same thing even on, on a much, much deeper level. Yeah. I could tell you in 2012 when we when I walked into the room and it was Mickey and Rick and Kelly and everybody in there yeah. and they said that you're going to sit out for a couple of weeks I was I was not on board nope. and you know so even in 2012 I wasn't ready to make the right decision for myself and we talk about it in the book how a support system around someone like that is very critical someone with a concussion is not someone that can make decisions for themselves yeah um, especially in the heat of the moment right after a crash or or an injury on the field. Uh, they certainly need medical staff and so forth in, in in place to be able to help them. It's the same at home. When they leave that field to play and they wake up the next morning, that support system needs to be there. And I certainly had one around me in the most critical of times. And, you know, we cover that in the book. I, we talk about Amy. A lot of people, we, a lot of people wanted to put the, the retirement on Amy, but she was actually the big part, if not, you know, aside from Mickey, she was a real reason why I was able to get well enough to come back for that final year. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it covers about all of it. You know, at the start of this uh, interview and this conversation, McGee, I was talking, I was saying how that we were going to have these moments where we thought, man, we forgot something. I haven't had one of those yet. You That's have? Good. I was going to ask. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I was going to ask. I mean, we were done with this thing months ago. Yeah. I've read it three or four times. Haven't had that feeling. Well, and, and as, a, as a writer... My wife was making fun of me because the only copy of the book I have, I'm laying in the bed the other night reading it. And she's like, what are you doing? I go, I'm reading it. She's well, you can't change it now. I go, that doesn't matter. This is what this is what you do. And and I felt the same way. I wanted so. to know if an author reads the book when it's yeah. out or if you'd be afraid to read it. No, well, honestly, I think the f- – yeah. I mean, I think there's a little bit of that, but you just go on and do it. Yeah. And But I'm proud of it. I really am. You know, I read the earlier drafts a hundred times because I wanted to make sure that they were okay. And it was – I'm telling you, the, the, and I'm I'm going to jinx this because I hope we get to do it again one day, but the process on this was, was so much smoother than I thought it was going to be. Really? It really was. I mean, it was 
I would drive up to his place. So we basically wrote the book in halves. And I drove up to his place. And I, the whole, it took me about an hour to get from my house to his house. And the whole drive up there, I thought, man, this is going to suck. Because right? <laughs> we're going to go through this thing and, 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 and in a good way. We're going to fix what we got to fix. He'd sit at his desk and read. And I'd sit at the, on that funky recliner with my laptop ready to go. And he'd read the whole half of the book. And we wouldn't change a lot. And it was like, I was like, we, we're not terrible at this. Yeah. It was awesome. That's yeah, the only something. the on, one of the one parts that I remember reading through with him in the room, and and so I started to read one of the chapters, and I thought I need him here. I need him here. I'm gonna if I'm gonna have all I'm gonna have a lot of things that I think are incorrect, and I just rather him be sitting here so we could have a real conversation about it. So we want to be thorough. So he's like, all right, I'll drive up there. So we sit down, and I'm gonna read four chapters of this book right now. <laughs> and it's going to take about three hours. And so I read through it, and I, I only had one snag on the bob wire, and that was uh, this line about, and this is in that first four chapters or so or whatever, talking about Rick and the conversation I had with him at Daytona. I was in his bus. I remember having a conversation with him, and just I was just being annoyed. I was annoyed, and I'm having a, I'm, I'm just going, hey man, you know this is I don't like this. This has got to stop, and he's I want to do this. Like he's his his yeah. brain is that he didn't have a filter to. But point. I'm talking to him like this. I'm like, hey, this is coming to the end. I don't I don't know if I want to do this anymore, Rick. I really don't. You know, I I, I just you know I'm not having any fun. This this and this happened, and damn it, this you know what that you know not running good and. You know, I'm just, this is the way I'm talking. That's how it sounded in the your tone head. And, yeah, this is how it sounds in my head. And so I'm reading in, in the book here, and, and he, it says, I'm yelling at Rick. <laughs> yeah. And I said, I don't remember yelling now. Now, we can't put that in there because I don't want Rick to read it and go, eh, he wasn't yelling at me. Yeah. yeah. Nobody yells Braddy, at prima donna employee yell. yelling at the boss. Yeah, nobody yells at me. And he goes, that was Rick's recollection of the <laughs> Is that is that that's what Rick told you? He I said already he, talked. Yeah, yeah. I, I talked to him great. like like just a couple of days earlier. Yeah. yeah, and so that that really uh, made me realize that okay, well, he's really went and talked to Rick, talked to all these people about these experiences in this whole book to sort of add credibility and substance to them. You didn't know you've been yelling at us all these years. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how he describes it. It's how everybody else would describe it. No, yeah. it, was, it was, but yeah, but I talked, Mike. I talked to you for a long time, several times, and I talked to, I mean, Tony Mayhoff here. Talked to Rick. Talked to Steve Latart. Talked to the, yeah. the Greg and the crew guys, and I mean everybody. And and and, just, and so people know we're not rewriting any any of Dale's stories. You're just looking for for a little bit of perspective on it. You know, you know, give me some a little bit of detail on it. You know, and yeah. like for like that, like he says this is how it happened. But if he had said I didn't yell at Rick, and that's how that was, then that's how he recalled it. It's his book. Of you course, know what I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. But, absolutely. But yeah, but, but, and I kid about this, but you know the fact is, I mean, this is seriously, this is what I would tell McGee because everybody has their own vantage point from it and so from my vantage point we didn't know what to make of all this right as it was going on this is this is what it would be like dale would be in your office and be like did you just i i like i totally just the balance my balance just left and i believe him but it's like dude if you don't want to race just say you don't want to race mm -hmm. you know or you know what's going on i mean like, like I, I don't you don't know what's going on because he would go to places and not have any symptoms or like i mean and admittedly we're all being honest here it's like was it a coincidence that you didn't have any symptoms in Key West, or you know when <laughs> you when you got yeah. your day off? Yeah. Is it really every time you go into the garage or go to work? And so literally, when we go up to see Doctor Collins and we're all in there, there was this pervasive 
undertone feeling that's like, Dr. Collins is going to – if there's BS here, Dr. Collins is going to call it out. It's like, you be like, yeah, here it comes, right? You know, because he's asking him questions. It almost felt like a court scene. It almost felt like Dr. Collins, he's got his assistant sitting there, you know, typing little notes, and he's asking questions <laughs> to Dale. And Dale's like, I, you know, my eyes won't, aren't working with me, man. It's like, you know, I can't, I can't focus. I can't do this. With the moment you're like, okay, if there's, if there's any BS to be called out, here it comes. Yeah. And Dr. Collins says, you should have been here sooner. I know exactly what you got. And he rolls out this chart, and it's got all the six different types of concussions on it. And it was verbatim. It might have been Dale's bio for the past year. Yeah. It explained everything he was saying. Yes, you don't have all these symptoms. You know why you don't have the symptoms in Key West? Because it's not triggering uh, stress. Stress will trigger these things. Or high-speed environments. A racetrack may qualify, right? Right. And so it's like, oh, and we all learned a very valuable lesson that day. We don't know what we're talking about. Right. Just, yeah, just so you know, brain science this is, is my not favorite. What, yeah. This is my favorite part of this podcast. <laughs> this, okay, hey, do you want me to make that into a ringtone for yeah. you? Yeah. Can that be a clip for yeah, the gram? <laughs> we don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, but hey, but that's that. It goes back to something we were talking about earlier, which is because he is who he is, and because so many people care about what he does on the racetrack or who he is or just everything he does, everybody thinks they understand him. That's right. And you don't. You don't. You do not. There were two people on planet Earth who understood what was going on. He understood how he felt, and Mickey Collins understood what was going on. That was it. Yeah. That was the beginning and the end. And everybody else believed, everybody had a theory, mm-hmm. whether it was a sports writer or whether it was somebody that was, you know, with him all the time. Everybody believed they, oh, uh, well – this is what's going on. We didn't know what was going on. That's right. And the fact that we all, looking back now, the fact that we all believed that we knew what was going on with the brain science is crazy. Yeah. Right. So imagine the mailman or the clerk Jimmy at the hardware store who has a concussion. And, and he can't, he has that same frustration of trying to, you know, you can't see it. He looks fine. You know, he just rang me up. He looked normal. Yeah. He was crazy to begin with. <laughs> yeah. And, right. you know, they have that same inability to showcase what's wrong with them so someone can go, all right, I see, I get it. And they have this inability to go to Mickey because they don't know Mickey. They don't know where he is or who he is or that he exists. They don't know this opportunity to see someone like Mickey exists. And they're walking around every day with the frustration in their mind that none of their family or friends really know what they're going through. And they don't know how to fix it. I mean, that's so scary. You know, I'm glad that I'm well and that I don't have that fear and, and frustration every day. Uh, but there's so many people out there that do. And to me, that's very scary. I'm in an insulated environment and a lot of people aren't so fortunate. And a lot of people don't even have that support system around them. So uh, it's a scary thing. It's a necessary book, guys. I'm glad uh, I'm glad it's here. I'm I'm really eager for people to... Read it and give us feedback. I, I, we love hearing it. Um, and, uh, Dale, if, if, if it's exhausting talking about it, by the time everyone listens to the show or watches this show, you'll have been in New York for two days yeah. doing the same thing, regurgitating it. So, uh, But it's, it, it's something that we feel like it's so necessary that it's a message and it's a, it's a, it's a conversation that needs to be had. This book's going to start the conversation. That was why you wrote it. That's right. I just will always be grateful that you guys entrusted me with this. Well, we definitely um – pick the right guy the book turned out the way i had it in my mind the whole time you know and you made that happen you know when i read it it's me it's my quotes it's my words it's as if i wrote the 
damn book well, you with did. your pen. Yeah. I know, but that's not the case yeah. in a lot of books. And well, there's nothing in there you didn't say. I mean, yeah, oh, it, I know. It, yeah, and it's, I, I say he, I, I'll go back to the beginning. In the beginning, he said we're gonna have to be friends to do this. I feel like we're friends now. And the most important thing about all this was I got to see the baby before anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I saw the baby. I, I, I got to see the baby like before like anybody. Yeah. I was because I was. They came home from the hospital and, like. The next day, because we were trying oh, to get, you were tell, hey, hey, tell me about the race to the finish. We're trying to get this thing. I, I, I kept saying to him, dude, we got to be done by May 1. He's like, well, then I go, no, no, seriously. I just brought a baby I go, home. I mean, I go, give me a day or two. No. When, when, the baby, when the baby gets here, I said, you're not going to be sleeping. We're going we, we to we, we get the heavy lifting done before the baby. That was my goal was to be done by May 1. And uh, we still had a little bit to do. And, like, I mean, that baby hadn't been home 24 hours, and there, there the writer nerd was with my yeah. laptop. Hey, man, what's up? And they're like, here's the baby. I'm like, great. This ain't, there ain't no paternity leave when you're writing a no, book. No, but I was. I was, I was I, 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 my claim to fame in the end will be that I yeah. was one of the first ones to see. I'll, I would say if there is one occupation <laughs> to have, if, if you have a baby at the house, writing a book's one of them. Yeah, yeah, you know? sure. Yeah. Any, any kind of work from home. Yeah, yeah, you got it made. <laughs> no, that was it. Well, fellas, I, can you hang around a little bit longer? We're going to talk a little. Uh, I'll stay as long as y'all want. All right. all right. I mean, you're a man on the move, so we don't know. But everybody, listen, go check this book out. It's available now anywhere books are sold, and it's uh, it's not even that expensive. So uh, go, go get you one. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get to an Exalta update. This is your Exalta Race Center update. I'm Matthew Dillner. Talladega, Alabama was the epicenter of NASCAR this weekend. On Saturday, the Truck Series was back on track, and it was an outlaw, former full-time series competitor Timothy Peters, who came in and stole the show, racing in just his fourth truck event of the season. A last lap wreck between he and race leader Noah Gragson decided the race, with the field frozen when the yellow flag came out. Gragson, Matt Crafton, Grant Enfinger, Justin Haley, Brett Moffitt, and Johnny Sauter will all advance to the playoffs round of six, which starts in two weeks at Martinsville Speedway. On Sunday, the Cup race saw a big win, with playoff implications. Eric Amarola broke a 149 race winless drought by taking the checkered flag when teammate Kurt Busch ran out of fuel on the last lap. While the trucks get a weekend off, the Xfinity Series playoff round of eight kicks off at Kansas Speedway on Saturday. On Sunday, the Cuppers go 400 miles in Kansas with an elimination race to close out their round of 12. This has been your Exalta Race Center update. Exalta is the official paint partner of NASCAR, developing, manufacturing, and supplying coatings to all types of vehicles and industrial applications. For more on Exalta, please visit ExaltaCS.com. All right, so let's talk about Talladega as a wild weekend. I got a new Chevy Silverado while I was down in Talladega. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to Talladega a bunch. Yeah. Never came out with a new Chevy Silverado. Right. <laughs> I was going to drive it home, but I, I uh, got a friend of mine to drive it home, and I'll see it. It's at the house now. I haven't drove it yet. But but you have seen it. I have I have not seen it. Oh, I've you only have seen not it. seen it. I have only seen it in pictures, but right. I'm excited. What does it look like? It's red, black wheels. The new body, the, it's got all new body lines and stuff, so I'm really excited about it. I was at the Texas Motor Speedway when they unveiled this Silverado almost. Be a, be a helicopter. Yeah, the helicopter it <laughs> in. And I was like, that's a great looking truck. When it's available to the public, I'm going to buy one. I haven't bought a Chevy truck in a long time, you know, so I've been driving Chevys all my life, uh, but it's been a while since I bought a truck. It's a pretty truck. Yeah. Did you buy, did you buy it from yourself? Did you buy I it bought from, it from my dealership. Yes. The, in Tallahassee? In Tallahassee, I yes. was down in Tallahassee for Florida State, Virginia Tech, Labor Day weekend, and I'm telling you, dude, 
I don't know how much they're spending on radio advertising down there. <laughs> it's a lot. I mean, it's every commercial break down there. It was you. The, really? Come on down to Dale Jr. Yeah, I, like, I, I was like, so good job. That's, That's good. funny. And everybody's going to sit there and say, uh, well, if you bought it from your own dealership, why didn't you just get it? But that's just not how the automotive That's business works. That's not how works. it works, yeah. It's yeah. not how it works. Yeah. Get it for free, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm paying for it. I want it. It's mine. I don't want any strings attached. That's right. All that crap. So, Talladega, anyways, uh, the end of the, uh, the race was really interesting. Stuart Haas dominates. They brought these four fast cars that we, you know, just dominated the field. At one point in one stage, they had a half a lap lead on eighth place. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen anything like that since Dale Jarrett and Robert Yates' car uh, would have that kind of control over the field, or even better, Bale Elliott in the 80s, uh, driving away from the field on his own. I I think I would relate it to that type of performance from Bill Elliott, but it was four cars instead of – it was four Bill Elliotts out there. They really controlled the race. I mean, if you watched it, you saw it. They were you know up front all day long. When they did get shuffled back at any point in the race, they would work their way right back to the front. Uh, they just had incredible speed in qualifying, and it transferred over into the race and – you know, it really came down to just which one of those guys is going to win. A couple things right at there at the end of the race. NASCAR did not throw a yellow flag when there was a crash going down into turn mm. one mm-hmm. uh, involving a few guys. Matt DiBenedetto and uh, Chase Elliott and a few others were involved in that crash. And uh, there was some drivers complaining about the fact that they didn't throw the yellow like they have in the past. 2015? Right. So Been nice then. Well, yeah. Well, that, <laughs> that crash happened at the flag out. stand. Um, the I'm idea, a little bitter about it, sorry. Yeah, really? So we're going to start going down the list of yellows of Talladega? We're going to do that? Here's the situation from my standpoint is if NASCAR throws the yellow, they're going to get criticized for not letting it play out. If NASCAR doesn't throw the yellow, they're going to get criticized for not throwing the yellow. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't yep. matter what happens. Somebody is not going to like it. Can't make everybody happy That's all right. the time. I think that in NASCAR's defense, they were trying to let the race finish, and they do have a ways to be able to communicate and under- understand what the situation is down at the wreck site and whether guys need medical attention immediately. So they made the human decision, which Kurt Busch pointed out. It's a human decision. It's not a black-and-white rule this way or that. It's a decision by a human being up in a booth to decide whether the yellow comes out or not. They made that call. Not to throw that caution, that you know, resulted in the finish that we got. That's why Kurt was upset. He felt like that the precedent was to throw the yellow. But I feel like that when they have thrown the yellow over the past couple of years, that people have griped. Why did you throw the yellow? Of course they did. It wasn't a, you know, it wasn't they, a big enough crash. Or and NASCAR's reason was, well, we're going to get the medical staff out there well, to to get to this guy. He's hit he hit the wall hard, and we want to get him help. And he stopped. That's another thing. Right. I mean, if they drive off, okay. But you can at Talladega, you can give them a few seconds to see if they are mm. going to be in the way when you come across. That's right. true. And so you know, NASCAR has given I think good reason for what what they did before and what they did this past weekend as far as throwing that yellow flag at the end of the race. Um, also, there was some comments by some of the drivers about the length of that yellow flag leading up to the uh, the green-white checker. They Some felt like there was an extra lap in there. Kurt Busch mentioned that. Ryan Blaney mentioned that as well. Talking to uh, Steve O'Donnell and hearing his comments since the race, since the end of the race, they needed another extra lap to clean up some of the debris. They could not open pit road as quickly as they traditionally do on a, on a caution because of the location of the wreck being in turn four. So they had to wait till they could get everything out of the way before they could open pit road and do a traditional cycle. They did. They could have done a quickie yellow, which would have allowed the lap cars and lead lap cars to pit together. They did not. They went with the traditional cycle, 
which would require even another lap for the lead lap cars and the lap down cars to pit separately. So, you know, you could I've been in that situation as a driver. When it's late in the race, you got a great car, you're sitting there with an opportunity, and, and you need all the laps you can get mm-hmm. to make that happen. Or in this uh, situation, those guys are worried about fuel mileage, and they're mm-hmm. adding laps to the race unnecessarily in your mind as a driver. So from the driver's seat, I can totally understand the frustration there. And, you know, there's there's no easy answer for that one. I, I didn't have an issue with anything NASCAR did. I thought the rulings were good. Did you? I you know, I feel like, okay, as a driver, I would be frustrated. But you're not a driver. I'm not a driver anymore. Now I'm on the other side <laughs> of the fence. I don't see a big deal with it. If NASCAR wants to take more time to make sure the, the pit road area is clear so they can allow the cars to enter and the cycle can begin, that's what has to happen. Yeah. If they don't want to do a quick yellow and decide to do a traditional yellow cycle, that's what happens. Right. It's easy for me to say this because I'm not a driver anymore. But one thing I learned as a driver was you can complain all you want about any rule in the book. You can you can protest, stomp your foot, be as mad and angry as you'd like to be, but it hardly ever, in any case, does any good. It's not going to change what happened. It's not going to change what happens going forward. And so, and, it, and also, every time that I've had a complaint, much like these, similar to these, every time I've went in the NASCAR hauler, they've gave me reasons for why it happened. Right. They're not, <laughs> and, it, and it was never, I was out to screw you. Yeah. Well, it's, so it's never that. It's balls and strikes. And just, so just to recap, the guys who ran out of gas thought they shouldn't have added laps. Right. And the guys who would have had a chance to win, they believe if not, not been for the caution, think they uh, right. think they should have. Yeah. Right. The, the, the caution was ill. So, so, so could you? There you go. So, so could your situation, uh, Mr. Driver? Uh, maybe affect your worldview of the situation. I mean, could could, could yeah. that be it? Yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, I thought that I liked seeing it. I liked seeing it race out because there was what only two cars in that wreck. Well, there was a few more cars in the crash, but most of them drove away. I think all but two drove away. Um, oh, well, that's interesting. But remember, there's radio chatter, Na- chatter that NASCAR yeah. listens to and yes. stuff. So if if there is a situation where they know a driver needs help, yes. they're going to know it. Yeah, they they have the radio chatter as well as video, but also the location of the trucks down in those corners, the corner workers with visuals on those vehicles, uh, cars that are crashed and so forth. So there's a lot of things that they use in that moment to determine whether they can continue racing. They want to be able to give the fans a, a green flag finish, a real, you know, they want to give the fans that opportunity to see that if they can. And in that moment, they made the decision to, to leave, you know, leave the green flag out there. We've had worse situations leaving Talladega, and I can recall the one you're talking about. You know, be glad that we're not in that situation anymore. Let's just recap it real quick, just so no. so everybody knows what we're talking about. <laughs> 2015, cut off race to the chase. I mean, you know, like you had to advance. Dale Jr. was right there on the line, and he had been up front all day. He's up there racing Joey Logano. You're coming up to a green-white checkered restart, right? And back then we called it a green-white checkered restart. And Kevin Harvick. <sighs> Uh, I still need therapy over this one. <laughs> uh, Kevin Harvick brought out the caution. It could be argued that Harvick needed the caution and therefore brought out the caution. But anyways, that was then there was a wreck. There, there was a wreck that uh, started, and it was a big one. It was way bigger, admittedly, than the one Sunday. Dale Jr. took the lead, but they threw the caution. The caution light flew, and they gave Logano the win. So Jr. did not advance in the playoffs. Y'all know I've been doing this for a while. Yeah. And that was, it's not even a conversation, the most bizarre post-race there's ever been because no one had any idea what was going on. I'll never forget, Matt Kenseth was one of the guys that was on the cut line 
as to whether or not he would make the next round. And so we're all standing out on pit road, race is over, and guys are getting out of the cars, and no one's mad, and no one's happy, and everybody's just standing there. I'll never forget, we're standing there. Matt Kenseth turns around and looks at me, and he goes, do you have any idea what's going on? <laughs> and I go, no, because we were waiting on, like, a scoring rule. And, we're, you know, and, and Bob Hawkins is there, and he's listening to NASCAR and waiting on whatever. And meanwhile, everybody's standing there, completely silent, waiting on someone to say, all right, this is – this is what happened, and Logano's out celebrating, and the crowd is booing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are flipping out because of what happened to you. That would have been the one difference is that they threw the caution immediately, go back to that scoring loop, gave Logano the win, didn't even let him get into the middle of turn one and two. Yeah. What I'd learned by that point in my career was that if you feel cheated or slighted or gypped, that it's best to get over that as fast as you can because what happens is, is – you get out of the car and you complain and be, you know, be frustrated. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you're still complained. You're still upset. You're still complaining and upset, but you're the only one. Everyone else has moved on. Mm. Monday, Monday by lunch, everybody <laughs> done moved on for your problem. <laughs> Nobody cares about that damn lap, that extra lap. Nobody cares. Yellow didn't come out, but you. It's 2018. I'm still not over it, but all right. I see, all right. I see your point. But yeah, I, that's what I would I would experience from my standpoint as a driver. I'd be like, "Y'all believe that? Y'all believe that?" Shit? And everybody's like, "What are you talking about?" Man, damn! All right, you still going on about that? It's already Tuesday, uh, dude. Get like over the race it. is over. What was it? Now that you talked about the crazy, the craziest finish and craziest post race, like I remember a crazy post race when Jeff Gordon beat Dale Jr. at Talladega. Well, I was just but I don't remember the situation. Why were people throwing beer cans at Gordon? Well, the same caution came out, right? It was yeah, the same, same situation. Yeah, same, right. same situation. Yeah. There's still people down there with rotator cuff injuries. I, Marty and I, Marty, I, still, <laughs> hey Marty, and I were just talking about this the other day on our show, which was there. There were dudes that I was impressed. As wrong as it was to be throwing beer cans at Jeff Gordon, I was impressed with some of these people that throw, threw those beer cans from row 75 <laughs> and like and like doored that car with a beer can <laughs> while it was rolling down the front stretch. Yeah. I'm like, that's a that's a Dan Marino. Let, yeah, let him perfect. Yeah, that's there's Doug a, Williams in the Super Bowl. There's a couple things I remember about that whole whole experience. Um, I J- Jeff had just gotten up toward the front, and we'd been doing well all day long, and this would have been five in a row. That's right. And so that's right. down the back straightaway, uh, going in three, Jeff had side-drafted me and gotten ahead, and I was side-drafting him back and starting to go back by him. In that motion, as I'm trying to go back by him, I'm going by him, right? I just another another couple another hundred yards, and I'd be out front. And the 25 car fun in the middle of the corner, and NASCAR's precedent at the time was that the field was froze as soon as the car started to spin. Like in the moment mm. that the crash is beginning to happen, the field is frozen in that exact moment. And so Jeff was ahead. You know, we didn't have timing lines. We didn't have, That's right. you know, we weren't yeah. going by the caution cl- lights. We weren't going by the flag man anymore. I mean, usually it was, a, like, for the longest time, it would be the flag man. Or, well, that, part of the confusion was, there was a lot. when they would do replays, there was a caution light that you saw come on, and it came on like a split second after you had gone back in the lead, and that was irrelevant. Yeah. And people didn't understand that. Right. People didn't because of because of what you're talking about. It was the second loudest booing I've ever heard at a racetrack. Yeah. So it was that day. The other one was uh, was the the second uh, Labonte Dale Senior Labonte. deal at Bristol. Yeah. And yeah. so <laughs> while while we're coming around the racetrack on the pace laps, he's sinking in that we're not going to win this race. You know that we're going to 
lose this race. And Jeff Gordon, who ain't done jack all day long, is going to walk into <laughs> victory lane and like he's a hero, you know. And I was so frustrated with that because we had been – we'd won four in a row and we were we were destined to win that day. Oh, yeah. We were good. And we're riding around in the pace laps and those beer cans are flying across the racetrack. And I got up against the wall behind the fence. That's right. And so I'm not getting any beer cans. And Jeff goes further and further away down to the apron, and I, and they're still going. They're like, pew, pew, it was like full. hit me. <laughs> they were like throwing full beer cans. Now you know that you got some pissed off Alabama fans when they're willing to throw a full beer. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Right. I I remember one other instance where that happened in my uh, career. I think it was my first July race in Daytona, 2000. Maybe been 2001, I think it's 2000. And they threw the yellow with a lap or two to go, and so it was going to finish under yellow. And that, this was back when the back grandstands was full. Mm-hmm. And they had put seat cushions on the seats I'm, before yeah. the race. Yeah. All right, in, in the grandstands. I don't know if they did it on the front stretch, but the back stretch, they had these little seat cushions that they put on every seat. So the, the caution comes out, and the fans are thinking, man, surely they're going to get this thing restarted before the end. Well, we get the white flag and the caution – and the fans know that they're not going to restart the race. And th- by the time we were coming around turn one and two, the fans had covered the racetrack with those cushions. <laughs> you could not see a piece of asphalt. And we're driving through there. It's like a, it's like an inch of <laughs> inch or two of cushions. They're just flying everywhere. Cushions are going everywhere. All the cars are cushions are flying up there, and cushions are going into the fence and every apron. And I was like, there. It is something. There's something interesting about witnessing mass protests like that. <laughs> there is a weird feeling. Like I hate to say it too. Like I was gratified. By the cans hitting Gordon's car. Yeah. I was like, hell yeah, hit that damn car with them cans. <laughs> yeah. And I know that's wrong, yeah. you know. And I know when I came around there and saw those cushions, it was wrong. <laughs> but I could not help but laugh. <laughs> I oh, know. Yeah. No, it's it, awesome. It was so enjoyable. Well, you were you were okay. You, yeah. Then nobody was. No, you were not. No one's going to hurt you with a beer can yeah. at that point. Yeah. yeah. Well, but, but, but for yeah. two reasons. One, they weren't throwing it at him. Two, he had the uh, oh. common sense to get up against the wall. Right. Because I don't think any of them. Kenny Stabler could have been up there, but he wasn't going to hit that trajectory right <laughs> over the fence, <laughs> over the wall, yeah. and landed on a car. Change yeah. up. You were in a protected environment, so yeah. you were good. Then those cushions weren't going to hurt anybody. No. All right, man. Maybe we want to get some Ask Junior? It's time for Ask Junior. I got a question. You have a question for me? Hit us up on Twitter using the hashtag Ask Junior. Are you ready for this? Uh-huh. Ask Junior sponsored by the Nationwide Home Fire Drill 120. Matthew, Important program you, yeah. that uh, you and Amy are very involved with. Absolutely, man. You guys uh, got to get your home fire drills done. You want to get out of the house to a designated spot in under 120 seconds. Sponsored by Nationwide. That's right. So, hey, we were giving you crap about all your questions. Uh, Ask Junior questions you've been pulling from the internet. But <laughs> apparently you got some good ones this week. Well, I mean, we Finally. did have a long show, so I got a hack and whack as we, we came up with that yeah. term earlier off the show. But uh, So is the, I think he's saying he hacked I'm making excuses. I'm yeah. making excuses. Yeah. So if these questions don't suck. But let's see oh, if we let's see if these fans deliver. Y'all can blame me. I'm starting to get some anxiety. Over there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's start off here with uh, Megan Nilsson, who says, uh, "Would you have wanted Chad Knauss?" As your crew chief, he seems pretty intense all the time, uh, even from his beginnings yeah. at Rockford Speedway. I would love to have known what it was like to work with Chad, just like in the same way that I always wanted to know what it was like to drive an Hendrick Motorsports race car. So okay. while I was racing at DEI, even if we were winning, you always wondered what the other cars felt like, what their motors felt like, what they drove like, because they do their clips differently or whatever. And so 
in the same way that you know, I'd love eventually would get to drive an uh, HMS car. I would, yeah, it'd be cool to see what going to the racetrack with him is like and how his intensity is and yeah, what his cars drive like, the adjustment he makes and things like that. Wouldn't have lasted five minutes. Well, he is a little intense. <laughs> I, Dale, I, you like the laid back guys a little bit more. I'm flexible, man, and I adapt, <laughs> and and I think I could have made it work. All right, WDR <laughs> uh, chiming in. That this is great. He said, uh, "They say you ain't cheating, you ain't trying." So, what's the wildest thing you've ever seen or heard about someone doing to a race car? I understand if you don't want to say names. He says, "Oh, um, well, there's a lot of things that guys have done over the years." Uh, one of the ways to run really good at Daytona was to have, uh, you know, get air into the engine with the restrictor plate, trying to get air into the motor to be able to put more fuel in the motor to be able to create more power uh, is definitely going to be able to help you. So I know that they had drilled holes in the valve cover studs on the top side next to the intake and then had portholes into the intake to be able to, be able, uh, you know, suck air from through the studs of the valve cover in the into the manifold, you know, and so but you could hear that. It would whistle, you know, so there would be a way <laughs> a <little> giveaway. <laughs> well, they would have something in there that would maybe melt away or a substance or something that would plug it up but get hot and go away in the heat of the car as it's out on the racetrack. There's a there I mean, there's been all kinds of cheated up parts and pieces and flexible things and bending things and ways to get rear skew and mm-hmm. Back when I think the biggest thing that I ever did, here it comes. I had uh, I we used to try to put stuff stuff in our fuel because we would. Uh, <laughs> this was back when I raced late models. We would always we tried propylene oxide and we'd buy elf fuel and run that. It smelled so good when it burned. Sweet, it did. We I- went to I got something from this uh, WKA go karting dude. And he told me to put this in the fuel, and this would be a good thing. And uh, we didn't mix it very well, and it ended up burning a piston on my car. So we put it in the fuel cell. We put it in the fuel jug and didn't shake it up enough, or we ever, we put too much in it. And when we put it in the fuel tank, it went right to the bottom to the pickup and right into the motor as soon as we pulled out to qualify. And the motor, the pipe, a blue flame come out the tailpipe, <laughs> and it burnt a jug. I mean, it burnt the center out of the piston. It was ruined the motor. And I got in trouble for that. I brought that home, and Dad was really upset. He caught me on the phone one time talking to a guy about nitrous oxide. He said if I he, <laughs> he said if he ever found anything like that on my car, I wouldn't I would be not be racing anymore. <laughs> but you know, you're trying, you're trying. We soak we we would soak tires. We try you know yeah. soaking tires. Really, everybody did that at Hickory uh, in Tri County where my brother and sister raced. So you, you, we wouldn't really want to do that at Myrtle Beach where I raced, but. You know, we try a little bit of everything, trying to figure an advantage for our cars, especially in the late model days. You just try about anything. I, I got a question for and Maybe you even know this. Fact or myth, the snake oil that I always heard about, like that Childress used to run. or Like I, I remember hearing in the garage there was this snake oil that yeah. nobody wanted, that, you know, completely – uh, illegal, but in they like mined for it somewhere in some remote lo- location. Yeah. I mean, like, wh- is it that- was basically there was uh, some motor oil that teams had that would help their cars in qualifying. It was a lot of power for qualifying. You couldn't race it because it wouldn't last long enough. It'd blow the motor up, but it was thin. Everybody was sort of trying to find what who had it. And if you went out there and qualified really good, everybody assumed that you had it. And so they were pumped i think i think it was rcr that was pumping the fuel or pumping the oil out of their car after qualifying in this jug and so 
the rumor is that Slugger Labby walked over there because everybody was like, well, how are you going to get some of it to figure out what it is and have it tested? So Slugger Labby walked over there and stuck his arm in that thing <laughs> and walked off. That's, what I was. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Ketchup. He stuck it in there and then walked over to the holler and then drip, you know, let it drip into yeah. a yeah. A container or something to be able to gather some of it enough to test. Evidence. Put, put it in the petri yeah. petri dish. That's right. Uh, that's uh, uh, the Andy petri dish. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard <laughs> right. that story forever. Yeah. And if you ever ask Slugger about it, he just smiles. Yeah, is that right? <laughs> that's yeah. when you which, know it's which, true. Which is which is yeah, which is an <laughs> absolute <laughs> indicator yeah. that that's how that went down. <laughs> there was bleeders and tires and all kinds of things. Guys drilling holes in their wheels and trick valve stems and there's been all kinds of crazy stuff over the years. And one of the coolest parts about the old school racing, old school NASCAR is when they would pull, when they would find those things and parts and stuff, they would put them in the NASCAR hauler, and you could go in there. Yes. And they used to be on a table. Yeah. yeah. They used to be on a table out in the garage. We go by there. That's the first thing we do. Like a, you get to the track early Friday morning, and they'd put the table out with the stuff they'd confiscated the weekend, especially the week after Talladega. That table would just be covered up with stuff. But no, it was a that was a, my all time favorite was when Gary Nelson was working on Daryl Waltrip's car. And there, and this one, Daryl used to win every race at Martinsville. They had a deal where the they had it was just ball bearings all up in the roll cage, and he had a little spring-loaded deal, and it'd go through tech, and then right before the race, Daryl pulled that little trigger and a little hole it open up, and they dump all those ball bearings just out into the grass, and they <laughs> did it for years. And then one time, Daryl walked DW on the radio goes bombs away <laughs> <laughs> over the radio. <laughs> and when he did that, because it always been rumored that they were doing that, but it, and they could never find it, you know. And he did that, and that's, that's, when, they, that's when they finally busted him. <laughs> Take bombs away. I had heard that story. <laughs> All right, so I'm at the uh, NHRA race yesterday, yep. and my old buddy Ron Caps, I find out, is a huge fan of Dale Jr. Download, uh, and he's got this question for cool. you. Cool. All right. All right, Dale, I got a question. We just won the Carolina Nationals. I want to know if you can change a diaper in 3.8 seconds, 331 miles per hour. <laughs> That's pretty good. I don't know if I could do it at 300 miles an hour, but I could probably change it. I don't know. I probably couldn't change it in 3.8 seconds either. Um, <laughs> but but you, I changed one this morning. You getting better? You getting faster, man? Come on. I don't know if there's a – I didn't know if there's a competition – Oh yeah, really? no, to yeah. Oh I used yeah, to, I, used I used to time to do that. mine all the time. Why? Did you really? Because it, it, we're like, men. But for the same reason, you time mowing the grass. So, all right, my little girl, she's real happy when she ain't got any clothes on, right? Most yeah. kids. Oh yeah, no, 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 uh, you never grow yeah. out of that. All right, no, no, yeah. so, <laughs> <laughs> so naked time. Yep. So like, I don't rush the process, you yeah. know. And this morning she had a dirty diaper. And uh, and not a wet diaper. She had a dirty diaper. So I make sure, you know, not I, it, it's nasty. It's everywhere, you know. So I take my time, make sure she's clean. And two, she's like, we sit there and talk for a second, you know. So it's not like, not some big hurry, hustled thing. Yeah, but those pee me. diapers, you could just r rattle through those. Sometimes it's like a competition yeah, the, for me, like yeah, especially yeah. if they just woke up at night yeah. to try to keep them in That's that like sleep mode. It's like a fuel-only stop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. The exactly. pee thing, I still try to clean and make sure she's good and dry, and I don't want the rash yeah. happening. I don't even know how the rash starts or gets there, but I ain't allowing that on my watch. And uh, <laughs> she likes to chat, you know, when she don't have a diaper on. She just starts talking, and I'll just stand there with her, and we'll just have a conversation. And so I read this little – I'm reading this magazine, and it's like uh, 
you know, when she talks, I like repeat what she's saying. So we we talk, and I repeat what she says, and repeat what noises she's making, and she likes that. <laughs> she moves, and she, I put my face down near her face, and she grabs my, my my beard and rubs on my beard a little bit. She likes that. You never thought that she's maybe grabbing your beard and saying, "Just put the damn diaper no. on me already." She's not, because as soon as I start putting the diaper on, she puts some legs out straight. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, it's hard to get it on. It's, it's like, oh right man, she don't want, that's her way of that's saying that. No, yeah. no, the, that's Still the first defiance. That's the first line of fence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's right though, because that that was my daughter's exact same way, yeah. which is she don't like that diaper. Free and easy is yeah, no, that's yeah. a big deal. Well, we've learned a lot about Dale Jr. in this last uh, two yeah. minutes. Well, congrats to my boy Caps. He says he has about uh, 12, yeah. 10 episodes that on the DVR because cool. he's too busy watching his wife's Grey's Anatomy. But he promised he's going to catch up. All right, good deal, man. Good I'm glad stuff. he's a big fan of the show. We're big fans of his. All right, good quick white flag. Keep coming, bud. White flag, bud. White flag right there, white flag. All right, we are off to New York. We said this earlier, we're off to New York. A few places you can catch Dale Jr. We're going to be on NPR's On Point. We're going to be on Jim Rome, Good Morning America, uh, a bunch of Sirius XM shows. So uh, we'll put out that stuff on social media so you can kind of uh, be on the lookout for that. Also, check out Sports Illustrated this week. There's a nice little piece. Did you see the text I sent you, McGee? I did. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Nice little piece there. Charlotte Observer did a nice piece last week. They're yep. very nice. Um, Liz uh, Clark. What? Liz Clark. That's Washington Post. Post. Right. She did, yes. Yep. She did as well. So a uh, lot of good stuff out there. The book is available everywhere. Books are sold. Uh, Amazon seems to be a favorite for everybody. But Barnes and, Lo- Barnes and Noble has actually a signature edition. You really? spent most of his August and September signing these things. So uh, go look for that. I need to get one of those. I need, I need, I need to get one of Well, look, actually. There you go. Oh, thank you, sir. There yeah. you go. You got your sharp and, and, and I don't think you have one yet, do you? No. There you go. Really? The right. man doesn't have his own book? Not go. yet. No. Hey, hey, let me tell you something. Now all, I don't feel all bad. All these people on Twitter going, hey, I got my copy of the book. I'm like, yeah, well, I, I, I don't have one yet. <laughs> right. right. That, that's, that's been happening, actually. That's funny. Uh, lastly, Dale Jr. will be making a public appearance this week at Kansas on behalf of Mountain Dew. Uh, he'll be joining Chase Elliott and other Mountain Dew athletes on Saturday. Saturday after the Xfinity Series race at Cabela. So look for him there. If you guys are in Kansas, that'll be right next to the track. And McGee, I mean, I'm so, it's been so fun having you in here. You are, this isn't your first Dell Jr. download experience, but it might be your first in studio Dell Jr. download experience. Hey, last week, I know, I know he said he didn't want to reveal his sources, but I was, I was really pumped last week. I got my Voodoo Man story on the, you, got, you asked about the, uh, I know, you asked about you. the practical jokes. Oh, you there. were the he source. Was one, he was one you of the sources. Source. Got, got it. That Voodoo was, man. that was yeah, fun. Sure That's a good source to get. That was a good, uh, yeah, Hal Needham told me that story. Listen, uh, Aside from the book, you also you're, you guys are kicking butt on your new TV show on SEC Network. I saw it on ESPN this That's week. Awesome. Yeah, Marty yeah, McGee. Awesome. Marty McGee. We got to so. get you on that on yeah. that deal. Yeah, Marty Let's McGee. And, uh, put it on there. I'll be shamelessly uh, I'll be shamelessly pimping uh, the book on the show this Thursday night. Oh, really? Has Marty read it? Uh, no, mm-hmm. I'm gonna send it to him. I'll, I'll get him one. Yeah, tell him to buy it. Oh no, I'm definitely making him buy one. <laughs> oh, don't worry about it. that's all. Well, then, now that you're at that point where everybody's going to ask, yeah, can yeah, I, can I get a book? I, go, I have great news. My, my man just went and bought his own truck from his own dealership. Yeah. Marty can buy a book. This right? thing's got like a. I think he and I both just realized this thing's got like a nice raised like letters. a relief there, a little like, embossed yeah, or something. Yeah, like what do you got? Huh? Yeah, yeah, no, it's embossed. Yeah, that that, that, that wasn't <laughs> part of the plan. Bass relief. I'm sitting here wondering why you guys are rubbing on the book. Yeah, like, I know. Like, yeah, like, like, like it's little, got like, those get a, powers. Get a room, guys. Yeah, <laughs> pictures. Well, I'm telling you, that's it's nice. Pictures in it. Good yeah. pictures in here. His yeah. book. His his name is raised. Mine. The with guy doesn't. His name isn't raised. He's not embossed. With guy embossed. That's all right. I'm on there. Well, good show. Hey, Brian, have fun making that 22.
two minutes. And uh, that's it. <laughs> Final words, Dale, anything? Thanks for listening. Uh, looking forward to going to Kansas. Barbecue. <laughs> Shut up, man. Now I'm pissed I'm not going that's for the first it. time. Like, yeah. Right. See ya. This bit of badassery was made by Dirty Mo Media. Dirty Mo.